Hey friends, Sam Klinger here. Welcome back to The Human Edge with Shad Morris. Today, our guest is Laura Cook. Shad and Laura will be discussing how Laura went from being someone that was just passionate about having international experiences to actually being the director of multiple studies abroad for both students and teachers. She also discusses her work as the executive director of Global Education Allies and how that has influenced her global impact. Welcome everyone to iHub. This is Shad Morris. I'm here with Laura Cook. Laura and I have known each other for quite some time and uh, we were good friends in school, in university, and after many years we are here today and I am happy to interview her as the CEO and founder of Global Education Allies. And I'll let her tell you a little bit more about what she does in with that organization and, and sort of her career path how she became CEO of this very successful organization. But before I do, Laura, I was wondering if you could tell us something unique about yourself that no one would know, maybe something embarrassing that you Mm -hmm. can tell us that uh, just sort of to break the ice. All right. So um, one summer after my freshman year in high school, after eating about a dozen mini burgers from Burger King, I had a public water park. Uh, I was flirting with some guys. It was spraying me in the water and I um, projectile vomited in the hot tub with over 20 people in it. And so they all jumped out very quickly and as did I. And as I ran to the bathroom, I threw up a few additional times along the way. Ended up having food poisoning and heat exhaustion. So it was rather sick. But uh, several years later, I did win tickets to a Fleetwood Mac concert um, on a a radio contest for the most embarrassing moment. So some people that might have heard that story years ago may may already know that. (laughs) Well, that is a great, that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. And that sounds sounds like a horrific experience, (laughs) but a lot of fun after the fact, mm-hmm. right? And and so, Laura, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to be CEO of this organization? You know, just sort of what got you interested in mm-hmm. international business, international education in mm-hmm. general. So my junior year in high school, when I was 16, I spent a year in Finland as an exchange student through Rotary International. And that was just really impactful experience on my life. And The last uh, month or so I was there, the Rotary president had all the new incoming applications for the new students that were going to be arriving, and he was trying to decide where in Finland to place them and which host families to put them with, and and he asked me to help him with that, and I just got so excited about the whole idea of international exchange, and I had had such a positive experience that I sort of made a promise to myself that I would dedicate my life and career to facilitating international experiences for people, and Of course, I wasn't sure how to go about doing that. When I started college, I wasn't sure exactly what to major in to help facilitate intercultural and international exchange. So I I hopped around to a number of majors. I I was in education, political science, history, business, human resource management. I just eventually decided I would definitely wanted to go to graduate school. So then I just looked for the quickest way to graduate with all the collective credits I had for multiple tries at many majors and found that doing a liberal arts and sciences uh, degree that basically took all of my humanity and social science credits and and foreign language credit I had was able to test out of the Finnish language and got a minor in that I was able to finish quickly and then I went to graduate school 
later, after first working for a couple of years in the state of Colorado at Colorado State University. At that time, I wasn't really directly involved with international things, but I was kind of had my first experience with program development and creation and sort of my first job out of college was to create a governor's youth council for the state of Colorado. I really realized how much I loved creating programs and bringing ideas into fruition. And after doing that for a couple of years, I came to Brigham Young University to do a master's degree in organizational behavior. And once I started, I learned there was a joint master's program with the Kennedy Center for International Studies and International Development. And so I was able to add that and did a, a dual master's program. And with that, the Kennedy Center offered a research assistantship where they would pay you to basically get any job on campus that sort of fit your academic and career interests. So I just went right into the, it, it was the study abroad office at the time. It's now the international study programs. But I just went into the director of that office and I just said, hi, uh, my name's Laura Cook and I want your job. Hmm. And I just asked him, what do I need to do to be the director of a study abroad office? And How did he react when you said oh, that? Oh, he's, he's a great guy. Rod Boyne is his name. He retired years ago. But he, he was really open, and he loved that I was just interested in the, all the research questions surrounding, like, what makes an international experience the most meaningful, impactful, what kind of programming things can help people get you know the most out of their international experience what sort of criteria what type of student is going to get the most out so later my my master's thesis was actually researching 20 different international volunteer type programs service learning programs in 20 different developing countries where i was looking i followed 200 students over about a year period with a pretest sort of right when they were selected to go abroad, another test after they had taken a full semester prep class, and then a post-test at the, the last week of their two to four month international experience, and then a final post-test after they had been home for about a semester. So what did you find? I mean, what are the things that make a study abroad or a service yeah. experience abroad most meaningful for a student? Yeah. There was so much data, but really what I kind of focused on is looking at what were the expectations uh, and how well were those met for a student. Some of the things that was most surprising was that all the the things that maybe studied, study abroad offices and directors might be looking for in a participant in terms of like students with a certain amount of experience already, language experience or other kind of life experience that those students actually perceived less growth than the students that you might not ideally pick first in mm -hmm. selection. And that really the preparation is really important in terms of keeping expectations in check for students. Even though the programs that I was following and evaluating were all over the world, I spent a year directing with my husband a program in Uganda and had been doing selection for students in Africa for several years. And I had gotten the story, you know, dozens and hundreds of times from students about how they had always dreamed of going to Africa to change the world and in different ways. And that's probably, you know, how my first time to Africa, kind of having similar expectations and how difficult it was for me once I realized and got so overwhelmed by how massive the different issues in, in development are and how you just sort of realize that in you know, three to six months that you personally aren't going to do much more than change yourself in that experience. So I spent a lot of time really helping 
students shift their focus and how can I learn and grow from this and instead of thinking like how am I gonna help and serve other people that really a lot of the service learning is really serving themselves to position themselves to be able to do more things in their own future that will you know have more impact over time but not sort of immediately interesting I mean that's consistent with what a lot of the research I've done in organizations in emerging markets in general is that when they go into those emerging markets say they're innovating for the 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 local clients or customers if they go in with the mentality of I'm going to sort of bring in my Western product or my mm-hmm. product from this uh, rich world country, they almost always, or very often at least, fail. Part of it is they don't go with this mentality of how can I learn mm-hmm. from from the customers here? How can I learn from the market here? And I really don't know what I what I think I know. I, mm-hmm. I don't know as much as I think I know. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that same principle applies to students when they mm-hmm. go abroad and have this mm-hmm. international experience. You're seeing that Rather than going to sort of change others, mm-hmm. go to change yourself first mm-hmm. and to learn from mm-hmm. that environment. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, maybe, just yeah. maybe, if you have a better understanding of what's going on there, then you can have a better impact. Yeah. And generally that impact is kind of over time as you maintain those relationships with people over time. And, you know, I have relationships with people in Africa that I've had for over 20 years. And now every couple of years I'll take groups of students or educators to Africa and can continue to kind of build upon. But they're all very reciprocal as far as what I've learned from the partners I've worked with over the past 20 plus years and what I've been able to do to kind of assist them in their work. So this is interesting. So this actually gets us to a transition to really understand what Global Education Allies does Mm -hmm. and and how you transition from sort of you're working in a university setting, helping students have a good experience. Uh, What made you sort of shift out to start your own company, which is a very successful company. You can look them up online. Uh, They do a lot of really cool stuff. And what sort of what Mm -hmm. caused you to move? So I, yeah, I worked for several years in the study abroad office from the time I went and asked the director for his job, but we worked as a graduate student and then worked full time a few years later. And during that time, directed several uh, programs in both Zimbabwe and Uganda. But then uh, I took about 10 years off, actually, uh, where I was doing adjunct teaching and consulting work while my, I had, I have three boys when they were younger. And then later returned full-time to the same center, the Kennedy Center for International Studies at Brigham Young University. However, in this new position, I was hired to manage, be the managing director for what was called the Center for the Study of Europe, which was a Title VI grant from the U.S. Department of Education that was promoting European programs for faculty and students in less commonly taught languages. And actually, a week after I started the job, the, there was a lot of major budget cuts, and the Department of reduced our grant, our three-year grant, in about half. And so I then sort of scrambled to, to get supplemental funding for programming and was able to secure a grant from the European Union, and it was called the Get to Know Europe grant. And with that, there was a lot of K-12 outreach. So at that time, I started working more with educators that were teaching 
primarily initially it was with high school teachers. Since then I've expanded and work also with elementary teachers, but it's part of this grant I was, I mean, it was part of the grant I wrote. So part of the choice I made was to, in order to help educate secondary teachers on the European Union, that I would take them to Brussels and that we would visit different EU offices and start a model European Union program for high school students. BYU had been doing that for their university students for several years, and I was the advisor to the students that would compete at a collegiate level. But I would then work with those collegiate students. After they competed, they would then mentor and help run a high school level competition. So uh, I took a group of teachers in 2013 to Brussels under this grant. And then the following year, we did the Model EU competition. And then the the students that won the competition, we got to go to Washington, D.C. to visit the different European embassies there. The following year, I also started doing work in Finland, where I had been an exchange student previously. And a close friend and colleague of mine, Aino Larsen, who has been teaching Finnish for many years and helping coordinate Scandinavian studies. And Aino is from Finland originally. Yes, Aino Larsen. So I asked her to help me with this group that I took through the European Union grant to Finland. We were looking at the education system in Finland that's very well known for having really amazing international test scores through what's called the PISA exam, sort of non-traditional methods where they're competing at sort of the Asian school type level, but they're approaching education in almost a completely opposite way. And so teachers are really interested in learning about that. So uh, I know and I uh, organized a group. And at the end of that, it was such a successful program that all of those, we took 30 teachers, and this was in 2014, they started telling all of their teacher friends, and we started getting massive requests for uh, taking additional groups. But that was at the end of the grant, and I had been thinking for a while about the idea of kind of doing something more on my own, but what really kind of pushed it was that the grant that I had been hired to manage, um, both the original Department of Education Title VI grant as well as the... um, European Union grant ended and we didn't have funding to continue, but yet I now had built this sort of demand among educators to want this product. So I went to Aino and said, what do you think if we just do this on our own? Is there any reason we need to, you know, if teachers are willing to kind of pay for the experience? Of course, with the grant, they had more supplemental funding, but they were willing to pay much more for what they got than they had to through the grant. And you know, I approached some of the people that I'd worked with at BYU to say, hey, is there any concern if I just continue trying to do this on my own and sort of got their blessing because they didn't have the funding to keep it going. And so over Christmas break of uh, 2014, we popped up a website, we figured out all the dates and what we could do, and we posted it around the 1st of January of 2015. And within about 48 hours, we already had about 70 applications to go. And since then, we've been taking groups to Finland as well as to East Africa, and we took a group to Southeast Asia last summer. So now we're, we've been working to cu- do customized study abroad programs for universities. We've been working closely with Weber State University in northern Utah as well as San Jose State University, and we're working with the University in Oregon right now and um, where we do customized programs for grad students or undergrads as well as some of the teachers we've taken before we've worked with them to do customized high school programs Mm -hmm. as well so we're still I'm still doing kind of study abroad related things for students but I'm also really focusing on this k-12 population because a lot of those teachers they they see this as their chance to do the study abroad that they didn't do in college 
Okay, so let me get this straight. So before we go too far in this, so you're working at a university, you're seeing this, this demand, and you're kind of in this sort of safe place, right? As an entrepreneur, that's we call that a safe place, low risk. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing the demand and then you're kind of nudged mm -hmm. by the, not getting this, this grant from the, mm -hmm. the U.S. Department of Education. From that nudge, then you say, okay, there's demand. I've already assessed this demand. I've already mm -hmm. seen that there's demand for this. Let's try this on our own. Mm -hmm. Pop up the website. And then what you're also doing is you're drawing on this past experience where you have deep ties, relationships in Finland. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we see a lot with entrepreneurs that we talk to and people who have made a successful international career is their ability to develop relationships globally mm -hmm. and then leverage those relationships and say, hey, here's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't come at the moment we think it's going to come. Mm -hmm. International business in general, international opportunities come by really sort of preparing. And then when the opportunity arises, taking that opportunity. So this is kind of what yeah. we're seeing. Yeah. And it starts ballooning, mm -hmm. right? And so what challenges have you faced as mm -hmm. you've started scaling? So you started yeah. in Finland and then started yeah. going to Africa. We ended up getting so many applications the first year that the program we had envisioned, we realized we're not going to be able to accommodate uh, all this demand. And so we had to come up with different program model models after the fact. We realized because at first we weren't sure how many applicants we would get. We asked the question if they could bring a guest, would they, without promising. But about half the applicants wanted to just come as their as their own as an educator, and another half did uh, wanted to bring a guest. So we ended up doing two programs, and my partner and I set it up so we sort of um, reverse the order of because in addition to Finland we do surrounding areas as pre and post optional pre and post trips so in addition to our main focus which is about a week long in Finland focusing on the education system there we also do Tallinn Estonia we've done Riga Latvia St. Petersburg Russia we've done northern Lapland at the Arctic Circle and we do Sweden we've done Copenhagen so we do these different add-on options that's about the same time as our main program. So I'll start with one group in a different country, and I know we'll start with, it usually stays in Finland, and then I've kind of been working more of the, the surrounding countries. But um, so part of it is just trying to figure out creative ways to meet the demand. The, the other thing is we need to make this as affordable as possible for teachers and so you know we don't have any paid staff actually we what we do is after each program we think about which participants were just kind of stellar um, and we reach out to them we've never had an application process either we just reach out to the educators who we were most impressed with and we ask them hey would you like to be a fellow and do you want to help us with our next program and come along as a fellow and they then you know basically we exchange they get international education experiences and then they assist us with some of the projects that we need help with in terms of communicating with participants and applicants and with the growth if you don't have the if you don't have the resources to really expand and pay for staff it can really be intensive. I mean, it's both Ino and I have other basically full-time jobs outside of Global Education Allies. And so I think the challenge for us has been trying to balance the growth of Global Education Allies along with our other full-time work responsibilities as well as all our, we both have three kids as well each, and there's just a lot going on. We're pretty passionate about it, but it's, you know, a lot of times I refer to this as my hobby 
job because I just do it mostly because I love it so much and I'm passionate about it. But the majority of my global ed work gets done probably after 11 p.m. (laughs) on the weekdays and during the weekends. So, Laura, in closing, if, if I'm a young student and I'm, or an old student for that matter, but I'm interested in having an international career, one of the things that I, I'm seeing is there's a lot of opportunity right now for experience. We're sort of mm-hmm. in this experience economy. People mm-hmm. are looking for experiences mm-hmm. more than more than services, which is mm-hmm. was our old model mm-hmm. of, of economy. We're looking for services. Before that, it was products, manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was agrarian. So mm-hmm. now we're in this experience economy, and you've really tapped into, kind of shown us that, hey, there's a huge demand out there. Mm-hmm. And, and your biggest problem seems to be just keeping up with this demand, right? I mean, just being able to scale. Are there maybe one or two or three lessons or, or sort of key takeaways yeah. that you would recommend to a student who's wanting to do something like this? Yeah. Maybe things that you would recommend they do, kind of experiences they should have, mm-hmm. what they should be looking for. You know, I asked that question to myself when I had decided this is the career path I want. What do I need to do? Um, I asked myself, the 30-year-old years ago self and you know I just decided for myself that I would get as many international experiences myself as I could so I you know studied abroad after my Finland experience I did an internship on the island of Crete one summer didn't work out so well but I got myself out there I also studied abroad in Jerusalem for a semester started doing did an internship in Zimbabwe and South Africa so I was sort of collecting my own experiences that I could then build on. And so I, I don't think that any experience, whether I had ranges of how positive and how difficult different experiences were. Not all of them were great and easy, like my year in Finland was, but I learned a lot from each one and, you know, built the relationships and connections that you kind of referred to earlier that have helped. So I think networking and getting good experiences, and it's a card industry to get paid experience in. Just like I said, the teachers that work with us in Global Ed, they're volunteers, but they love the experience. So I think that's part of looking at what are you willing to do to get the experience? And can you find the most similar kind of organization to what you envision yourself doing? And can you make yourself available and show them what value you can add? Great. Okay. So I've got networking, making sure you're developing the right relationships and just relationships in general, globally. Mm-hmm. And that also comes by having these multiple international experiences, getting that, but that's the second one, getting these international experiences as much as possible, because then that opens doors, right, mm-hmm. and as you're saying. And then also being willing to fund this yourself. I think one of the, the obstacles we see in a lot of students is, well, I don't have the money for this, mm-hmm. or I need to get paid for this. Yeah. And, and I assume you actually, I know, mm-hmm. because you've talked to me, and we've mm-hmm. talked before, but... I don't think you got much money from your parents on this, right? You weren't getting funding, so you were just finding ways to to figure this out. Yeah, just even from the first experience in Finland, we had bake sales, we had yard sales, you know, had had a job for a couple of years saving up for that. And I did have a partial scholarship from the Rotary Club, which was really helpful, but it only covered like 20% of my flight. And and the same thing with my future experiences. I, you know, worked and saved and borrowed when I needed to, but... You know, so I think I started off paying for my experiences and I went through a period of time where I could break even on my experiences when I was helping facilitate those for others. As a grad student, when I was a facilitator in the field, I could 
you know, go and help manage smaller groups of students and would actually get my experience paid for by doing that, similar to what we do with our teacher fellows. You know, and then finally later I did work at a study abroad office where I was paid to do what I love, but it does take time to get to a point where you can actually make a living uh, on it (laughs) at times. But then for Global Education Allies, since our main objective is to help provide life-changing international experiences for educators, you know, our goal isn't to make a lot of money on that because we don't want it to be just to a limited number. We want to make it available to as many teachers as possible. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Laura, for your time today. This was a great discussion. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we hope you join us next time on The Human Edge. 